Good morning, faith family. Say hello to those gathered in Lakeville and in our sanctuary service. Invite all of you, if you would, to turning your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. I know we've got a lot of people visiting with us this morning. We're delighted to have you here. I hope that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, we have been in a series the last several weeks uh, here at Berean going through uh, the book of Hebrews, a series we've called No Going Back. And uh, it's a series all about challenging you in your faith. Uh, sometimes there's those seasons where you don't know if you can take another step or, or keep moving forward, and, and yet this book is meant to encourage us in our walk with Jesus. And so this morning, uh, we come now to Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to look at an entire chapter today. I hope you have no afternoon plans. Uh, so uh, this is going to be some good... The last few weeks, we've really been trying to unpack why the gospel is the best news in the entire world. And this morning, great news for you. So glad that you're here. Uh, Really excited about what we're going to look at in this passage. So let's go. Hebrews chapter 8. Invite all of you and all of our locations, if you would please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. The author is writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, now the point in what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it's enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, well, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor, each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest." For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please pray for me and with me, and let's ask God to come and teach us this morning. Father, thank you for this time to be together. Uh, gathered in all of our locations. This is a gift of your grace to be with one another, to encourage one another. God, now to look at your word, you have something to say to us today. That's why we're all here. And so I pray whatever distractions there might be that we would be able to focus on you and what your word has to say to us. Uh, Lord, give us good news. Encourage our hearts in Christ. And we ask it in his name. And God's people said, Amen. 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 Please be seated. 
They were the biggest name in photography, and it wasn't even close. In fact, they didn't just rule the industry, they were the industry. In fact, if some of you have some old photographs at home, the chances are high that it was taken on one of their cameras using their film, developed on their paper, and using their technology. Uh, the company that I'm referring to is a company known as Kodak. Kodak started in the late 1800s by a man by the name of George Eastman, and it absolutely revolutionized the way film was developed, the way pictures were taken. Up until that point, taking photographs was a very complicated process, practically only done by professionals. But what Kodak and Eastman did is they, they made it a very simple process. Now all you had to do was click a button, send in your film, and then your pictures would be mailed to you. Now anybody could take photographs. Anybody at any time could capture that Kodak moment. To give you just an idea of, of their success, and this is absolutely astounding, Faith Family, in 1976, Kodak owned 85% of the market in cameras. They owned 95% of the market in film. It was absolutely astonishing, which is what made it so shocking when in 2012, they filed for bankruptcy. You see, something came along. Something came along that, that impacted them, and they were unwilling to adapt. The reason why they went from king of the industry, from top of the mountain to the very bottom, is something new came along, and they refused to accept it. And I guarantee you, everybody here knows the new thing that came along. What was it? Digital photography. And now all of a sudden, film was obsolete. Film was unnecessary. Uh, but here's what's even more crazy about this story is it was actually somebody at Kodak that created the first digital camera. But the top management at Kodak refused to accept it. They did not think it was the thing of the future. And hear me, faith family, because of their unwillingness to let go of the old and embrace the new, Kodak became obsolete in a flash. Some of you are just now getting that, all right? <laughs> I can feel the wave going through, all right? The truth is every one of us has experienced that kind of thing before. All of us have a tendency to kind of hold on to old ways, to old things. All of us in some way kind of have that, that tendency. But at the same time, we all know that there are times in life when you have to let go of the old and embrace the new. You've done that in a host of ways. For instance, when you travel, how many of you are still using one of these? Show of hands. Don't admit that in public, okay? So we'll take the blue road for an inch, all right? I mean, it's like nobody uses this anymore. Nobody does. At least you shouldn't, okay? Why? Because something new and better came along. You know that. How many of you are making phone calls on something that looks like this? Anybody? If you are, tell Sarah and Aunt B and everybody else at Mayberry that I said hello, okay? 
you don't make phone calls on this anymore because something new and better came along. How many of you, if you needed to look up something, have used this recently? (laughs) Now, this is the authentic copy of what Moses brought down from the mountain, okay? (laughs) I can still smell the angel scent on it, okay? You don't use this anymore to look stuff up because something new and better came along. How many of you watch videos on something like this? Please no, okay? All right, this is like four centuries ago, all right? Be kind, rewind. Nobody watches videos on this anymore because something new and better came along. Now, what about this? This is probably my favorite. Who saves files on this? Show of hands, who remembers the floppy? Right? Okay, you're really old. All right, (laughs) nobody... Nobody saves files on these anymore because something new and better came along. You see, that's the thing. No, 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 don't misunderstand me. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that everything new is better. Are you with me? That's not what I'm saying. The point that I'm making is that everybody here, everybody has had things in their life where they had to let go of the old because something new and something better came along. That's exactly the point of Hebrews 8. It's exactly what the author is teaching. Except he's not talking about technology. He's not talking about photography. He is saying there is a new and better way of approaching God. There is a new and better way of approaching God. And when it comes to this new way, it is definitely, definitely better. Let's look at it. Before we dive into chapter 8, let me remind you of the context of this book. Remember, this letter was written to Hebrew Christians. That is, people that have been saved out of a Jewish background. They're facing severe persecution because of their faith in Jesus Rome had given Judaism an exemption from worshiping Roman gods. So these Christians think, if we just go back to Judaism, we'll be safe. But to do that meant abandoning their faith in Jesus Christ. So this author now has made point after point after point why you can't go back to that because of Jesus. And now he's going to make a point in Hebrews chapter 8 that is not only profound, it is extremely controversial. In fact, I don't think we quite understand how controversial Hebrews 8 really is. This is what the author is about to say. Look at it on the screen. You can't go back to Judaism because Judaism doesn't exist anymore. It's obsolete. It's unnecessary. It's irrelevant. And do you know why it's obsolete, irrelevant, and unnecessary? Because something has replaced it. Look at verse 1. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not 
man. Now, as we come from last week in chapter 7 now into chapter 8, this is basically the summary statement of what the author has been trying to say, which is this. Jesus is the greatest high priest. He's greater than any of the old Levitical priests in the Old Testament, okay? Do you remember last week the greater than game? that you learned in school or should have, right? That like seven is greater than two. We learned that the bears actually are greater than the Vikings. I prophesied that, don't get off me, all right? All right, I prophesied that last week. Do you want me to tell you who's gonna win tonight? Not gonna do it, all right? We learned, uh, we learned that country is definitely greater than rap. All these real important godly things we talked about, okay? But we took this idea of the greater than game and we showed you that in Hebrews 7, the author loves playing this game. Only the truth is it's not really a game. Your soul is on the line. Your peace is on the line. Your eternity, your approach to God is on the line. And he said, listen, we've got these two priesthoods. One that comes out of Jesus, Melchizedek, you know, the guy that you said you'd name your first child after, right? Uh, he was a type of Jesus. Uh, and Jesus is this, he, he's our priest. He's a priesthood for us. And then there's this old Levitical priesthood where he had to offer sacrificial sacrifices and things like that, the one in the Old Testament. And then he compared them. And he said, let's see which one is greater. Well, Jesus is eternal. That priesthood was temporary. Well, which is greater? Well, obviously the eternal one is. Jesus was sinless. He lived a perfect life. Those priests were sinful. They had to offer a sacrifice for their own sins. Jesus, this is kind of an important one, is alive. I'm going to wait on you, all right? <laughs> Jesus is alive. He is risen. There you go, okay? We'll have Easter in November. Here we go. He's alive. All those other priests were dead, and it's really hard to stay in office when you're dead. Jesus lived an indestructible life. He lived a perfect life. This was based on the law, which only proves that your life is not perfect, but it couldn't make you perfect. Jesus finished his work. It is done. It is once for all. But those priests keep going and keep going and keep going. It's never finished. And this is the point that we've been trying to make, he says. That we have a new and greater high priest. We have a new and greater mediator between us and God. Now, he continues that into chapter 8, and he's going to give us three more reasons why Jesus is greater as if this isn't enough. And here they are. We'll look at them quickly. First, Jesus is greater because he's seated. Jesus is greater because he's seated, which really, faith family, gets back to this idea that it's finished. Jesus could sit down because his work was done. The other priests never sat down. They were always standing because their work was never finished. Look, for instance, in Hebrews 10 and verse 11. Every priest, say it, stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of God. I don't have a lot of time here, but let me just say this. How in the world do you think you're ever going to have peace if the one representing you before God never rests? Come on, faith family. 
How do you think you're ever going to have confidence in your spiritual life, ever have confidence in your salvation, if the one that you're putting your hope in never rests? You see, you can have peace this morning because Jesus is seated. It's done. He's finished so you can rest. He's far greater. And it's not just because he's seated, but let's add to that. Jesus is greater because he's seated on a throne. He's seated on a throne, the text says. That is, he's priest and king, which is what Melchizedek represented for us. Melchizedek was a priest king, and he was a a picture of, of, of Christ. Now, here's why that's so important. It means that Jesus, as a priest king, is able to represent man to God. That's the priestly work. And he's able to represent God to man. That's the king work. It just simply means means this. There is only one mediator. There is only one mediator between man and God, and that's the man Christ Jesus. He is greater. Some of y'all had too much turkey, all right? Jesus is seated. He's seated on a throne. And then here's the third reason. He's seated on a throne in heaven. In heaven, where the real tabernacle is. The text talks about the fact that when, when Moses and them were given the tabernacle, which is just where you would meet with God, it's where God's presence would dwell, that was just a symbol. That was just a picture. That was just a copy of the real tabernacle in heaven, which is where Jesus serves. Look at Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 24. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are just copies. They're just pictures of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Come on, you you know this. You know real is greater than symbol, right? Right? See, Lakeville and Sanctuary, they're like jumping up. They're doing jumping. They're so excited, right? You know real is greater than symbol. Let me prove it to you. Um, what's better, a, a soldier that looks at pictures of his family or when he gets to embrace them when he comes home? Real is far better than symbol. Well, which is better, uh, looking through a magazine at great mountain views or actually standing there in the morning when the sun peeks over the mountain? Oh man, real is better. Which is better, watching a commercial about food? I knew that'd wake you Baptist up, right? Or actually getting to enjoy a good meal. Come on, everybody knows that real is greater than symbol. Well, guess what? Jesus, as our great high priest, serves in the real tabernacle. Not the symbolic one, not the picture, not the copy. He is the new and greater priest that gives us a new and greater access to God. Right here, right here, right here. Why would you put your faith in anything else? Why would you put your faith in anything else but Jesus Christ? Now, I want to take just a moment because part of the reason why I love Hebrews is because of stuff like this. It's very thorough. It's very logical. It's very rational. It's argument after argument after argument. And some of you are drawn to this, but but let me make this point, okay? I need everybody right here. At some point, this has to move from intellectual to personal. I can sit up here all morning 
and give you argument after argument why Jesus is greater than anything you would put your confidence and trust in. But until it gets personal, until you actually put your life in his hands, until you trust him as your great high priest, until you surrender your life to him as your savior, this means nothing to you. It's got to move from intellectual to personal, where Jesus isn't just a great high priest. Listen, he's your high priest. He's the one you have put your life and faith in. Jesus has come. He's provided a new and greater access to God. That's the first point of the text. But now here's the second part of this chapter is that the author now shifts from comparing these two priesthoods to say, and this, um, you think I've been fired up already, just wait till you see this. There's actually a way of approaching God that's associated with both priesthoods. This gives you a way of approaching God and that gave you a way of approaching God. This priesthood came with a covenant And this priesthood came with a covenant. And so now what he's going to do, because remember he loves the greater than game, is he's going to say, let's compare the covenants. Let's compare the way you can approach God that comes from these two priesthoods. Are you with me, faith family? Look at verse 6. He says, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as The covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, well, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So now we're going to look at the ways in which you can approach God based on these two priesthoods. And there's three reasons in the text why this, no shocker here, is greater than this. And and I'm just going to say, if you're a Christian today, I I, I really, really pray that there will be an overflow of gratitude that comes upon you because of what we're about to talk about. That this is true and that you have experienced it. And if you're here and you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, today would you do that? Would you make it personal? Here's why this approach to God is far greater than that. Number one is because the new covenant that Jesus brings is based on an internal presence, not external performance. Internal presence, not external performance. Now, let me show you where I get that in the text. Verse 8, for he finds fault with them when he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers, this one, not like that covenant, you know, when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, because they didn't continue, they didn't obey that covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord, because that was the terms of the covenant. But this covenant I will make with the house of Israel, declares the Lord. After those days, I'll put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Okay. So right here, the old covenant, the old way of approaching God that was attached to this priesthood was this, everybody with me, is that it was all based on your performance. In fact, the whole covenant was set up this way. If you obey, I'll bless you. If you don't, then there'll be curses. And so it's all going to be based on whether or not you can live up to the law. 
And this whole priesthood was established because you couldn't live up to it. You couldn't do enough. Listen to what Jeremiah says of Israel who received this covenant in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 23. But this command I gave them, obey my voice and I'll be your God. And you shall be my people and walk in all the way that I commanded you that it may be well with you. But they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsel and the stubbornness of their evil hearts, and they went backward, not forward. You see, this was all based on if you want to be, if you want to approach God, you have to be perfect. You have to perform. You have to live up to everything that God has commanded. Now, who can do that? No one. But there's a new covenant. There's a new way of approaching God, and it is based on not external performance. It's based on the fact that God puts his very presence in us. He writes his law on our hearts. He puts the spirit of God in us. He puts the very life of Christ. Paul will say, it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Jesus will say, you must be born again. Not, and this is, this is good, do better. The good news of this covenant is not you must do better. It's you can have new birth. You can become a new person as God puts his presence in you. Notice this on the screen. The old covenant was based on a list you had to live up to. The new covenant is based on a life that's put inside you. Now, which is better? The new covenant is a greater covenant. It's a greater way of approaching God. Here's the second reason why the new covenant is greater than the old. is because it's based on intimate relationship, not distant regulations. Look at verse 11 in chapter 8. They shall not teach each one his neighbor, each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, and here's why. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. You see, under this system, the approach to God was very, very distant. You couldn't come close. You couldn't draw near. And the reason was because you you had broken the law. And so you realize that the majority of people in Israel had to stay a very far distance from the presence of God. They couldn't come in. Only a very few select people were allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies and to enter into God's presence. But here's the good news of the new covenant. You, you ready? Lakeville, sanctuary, you ready? You can know God. You can know God. You can have a personal relationship with God. You don't have to keep your distance from God. And the text says this is from the least of them to the greatest, which means you don't even have to be a pastor, (laughs) which is good news for you, right? (laughs) Like you don't have to be a priest. You don't have to be a special class. You don't have to have a squeaky resume from the least to the greatest in this room, from the least to the greatest in Lakeville and Sanctuary. You can really know God. You really can. 
This is so much different. It's so much different. It's not about external performance. It's about his very presence being inside you. It's, it's, it's about knowing God, not having to keep your distance from God. Don't you see? This is far better. Here's one more. Why the new is greater than the old. This new way of approaching God that comes with this new priest that is Jesus is that in the new covenant, iniquities are actually forgiven rather than just covered. Iniquities are actually forgiven rather than just covered. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. I will remember their sins no more. You see, in the old covenant, all it did was, you do realize it didn't actually forgive sin. All those sacrifices, only what's called atoned for sin. That is, it was a temporary covering, not a permanent cleansing. And that's why they had to do it again, and then do it again, and then do it again, and then do it again, because it was only covered, not cleansed. But in the new covenant, your sins are actually forgiven. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you guys. I mean, if you're here today and you're a sinner, this is pretty good news for you, okay? Last time I checked, that's everybody. Your sins are actually forgiven, and he remembers them no more. Which means this, this is the five seconds you're going to be glad you came to church for right here on the screen. It means this, the sins you can't forget are the sins God can't remember. You come to God, and if you're a Christian, you come to him and say, you remember that thing I did five years ago? And he's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Because it's done. It's finished. It's forgiven. Literally, I, I, I don't remember it. I remember your sins no more. Right? If only we could forget, right? But God does not remember our sins. Let me try to illustrate for you the difference between the old and the, uh, the new covenant, because uh, I know some of you are visual learners. And so I want you to think about this is the difference between the old and the new, and it's just fantastic news. I want you to imagine that, uh, in fact, the Bible even talks about like our best deeds are like filthy rags, right? That we've been stained with sin. We're not just people that sin, but we actually are at our core sinners, Okay, that this is who we are. And, and what the old covenant did is like what some of you guys do, okay? Uh, ladies, feel free to amen, right? You've got this like dirty, nasty shirt that you've worn for like two weeks straight. It can walk to you, okay? It is so nasty and disgusting. And you're like, you know, all you really need to do is just kind of spray some cologne on that baby, Right? I mean, that's all it needs is we'll cover up that stank and we'll just, you know, we'll make it smell good and, and we'll cover it up. The pride is nasty. Thank you. Thank you for that. We'll just cover it up. But the problem is, here's the thing, is what happens the next day? Well, it's still nasty. And so you got to cover it again. And then the next day, it's still nasty and you've got to cover it again. Why? Because you didn't address the problem. You didn't address the stain. All you, all you did was cover it up. 
That's the old covenant. But what the Bible says when it talks about the new covenant is it uses language like we were washed. In fact, Paul will say in the book of 1 Corinthians, he'll list out all these sins and he'll say, you were this and you were that and you were this and you were that, but you were washed. That's not who you are anymore. You were cleansed. Don't you realize that your sins are forgiven, that they've been washed as white as snow, that we actually in Jesus addressed the issue. Now look here, faith family, Lakeville, Sanctuary, which one of these is better? Do you want a system that only covers your sin or do you want a savior that can actually cleanse you of all your sins? That's good news. That's the good news of the gospel. In fact, for those of you that that know the lyrics of that great hymn, say them with me. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. That's the new and better way of being being able to approach God. Is that sin is actually addressed by Jesus once and for all. Notice this on the screen. Man, I really hope this encourages you. The reason God can't remember your sins is because they don't exist anymore. They don't exist anymore. And you say, when did this new covenant, when did this new way of approaching God happen? You know when it happened. Do you remember the words that Jesus said in the upper room? Just before he's about to be crucified, when he takes bread, he takes the Passover meal, and he breaks it with the disciples. Do you remember the words he said in Luke chapter 22? Here's what he said. And likewise, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the what? New covenant in my blood. Jesus, the great high priest, became our great sacrifice through the cross. And on the third day, he rose again. And he offers to you a new way of approaching God. Hallelujah. Now, what are some implications of this quickly, of what We learn here in Hebrews 8, what are some implications? Just very quickly, number one is this. I hope that you see, based on this, the difference of the gospel. The difference of the gospel. What I mean here is that every religious system offers you a sacrificial system. Every religion offers you a sacrificial system. You know, here's how you get to nirvana, or here's how you climb up the ladder, or here's how you get to God. Or uh, every, Every system has a sacrificial system. Only Christianity offers you a final sacrifice. Only Christianity. In fact, uh, Dick Lucas, who is a, a pastor, gave this illustration. He said, if you really want to understand the book of Hebrews, imagine a conversation between a, a Roman during this time and his Christian neighbor. And he says, hey, I hear that you're a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, tell me about your religion. Uh, uh, who are your priests? And he says, well, I only have one priest. His name's Jesus. Oh, well, what sacrifices do you offer? 
Jesus. What, what temple do you go to? Like, where is the, the place that you go to worship? Jesus. But how do you, like, get to God? How do you, how do you reach the place of perfection? Jesus. That's pretty much what the book of Hebrews has been. You want a sacrifice? Jesus. You want a priesthood? Jesus. You want a covenant? Jesus. And then the Roman neighbor looks at the Christian and says, that doesn't sound like much of a religion at all. To which he says, you're exactly right, because it's not one. It is a relationship with a risen Savior. That's the difference. We are not preaching a religion. We are preaching a relationship with a risen Christ. And you can have one today because of what he has done. That's the difference the gospel makes. Secondly, is that I hope that you would see from this the essence of the gospel, namely that if salvation could be accomplished by works, well, this would have been enough. Right here, the fact that this was needed proves that works-based systems don't work. Anything but salvation being by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, dear friends, is not the gospel. The gospel is faith in Christ, receiving His grace. That's the only thing that saves Thirdly, is I want you also to see the obedience of the gospel because here's the pushback I always get. Like three people will email me because of this illustration. And they will say, you start talking about sins being washed white as snow and, and your sins aren't, uh, aren't remembered. Well, that's just a license to go live however you want. And you'll push back on obedience. And I love when you send me those emails. You know why? Because it just lets me know I'm actually preaching the gospel. Because you see, my friends, why is the author of Hebrews showing them why the new covenant is greater than the old? Because he doesn't want them to go back in disobedience but to press forward in obedience. You see, this doesn't give you freedom to disobey. This inspires you to want to obey. Amen? Once you understand the gospel, it is your desire to walk in obedience to Christ. Here's the last one. I'd like to spend more time here, but I don't have it. And that's the freedom of the gospel. The freedom of the gospel. This is where your pastor's heart is at for you. I want you to be free. I really want you to be free. And if I did the math, I would say that maybe, I don't know, maybe half of my Christian life was spent this way. And here's what I mean. A new covenant Christian living with the mindset of the old covenant. And it cost me my freedom. It's costing you some of your freedom. You have this. Oh, somebody say preach. preach. You have this. But you're living like this. You still think 
The only way God really loves you is if you obey. You live in constant fear of exile. When is my next Babylon going to happen and God's just going to get rid of me? You spend more time worrying than you do worshiping because you're a slave. And you don't really understand what it would be like to live in this. And I am pleading with you this morning, new covenant Christians, stop living with an old covenant mentality. That is obsolete. The new has come. John MacArthur shares a story about a famous actor that was quoting uh, famous literature. There was a, a crowd gathered and they would just shout out uh, things from literature and the author or the, the actor would just quote it on the spot. And uh, they were there and, and someone in the audience, an older gentleman, shouted out, uh, Psalm 23. The actor didn't really think it was appropriate to do that in this setting, but he said, you know what, if you'll come up here and join me, I'll quote it. The old man joined him, and the, uh, the actor began to quote the psalm, and he did it eloquently. It was absolutely beautiful, poetic, finished. The whole place erupted in applause. Then it was the old man's turn, and he quoted the psalm. Rough voice. It, it wasn't all that eloquent, but it was real. And when he finished... There was no applause, but there wasn't a dry eye in the place. And the actor leaned over and whispered something in the old man's ear. He said, there's a difference between you and me. I know the psalm. You know the shepherd. That faith family is the difference. We have a new and greater high priest who has given us a new and greater access to God. And that means we don't have to settle for routine. We can have the real thing. You don't have to settle for distance. You can draw near. You don't have to settle for pictures. Today, you can have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And faith family, it doesn't get better than that. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this word today. What encouragement, what good news. And I do, as my prayer has been, I pray that this would move from intellectual to personal. Uh, because we, we can look at all these different arguments and make all the different cases, but at the end of the day, it's an it's a act of faith, of believing and trusting, putting our life in the hands of Jesus. And so I pray this morning for those in this place that are, are, are believers, they've trusted in Christ. Oh, that their life would just overflow with gratitude that all, all of these promises are true for them. They're true, not because I say so, but because you said so. 
And I, I just pray that there would be a deep sense of worship and gratitude in their heart because of this great truth. Others in this place that maybe do not know Christ, and today it's time for it to be personal. I pray that they would turn from their sin and they would put their faith in Jesus Christ and that they would now have this new and better way offered to us in Christ Jesus. God, thank you for this truth. Come set us free, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.